you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to be turning to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, this is our final sermon on the book of Hebrews. Uh, some of you may be sad, some of you may be rejoicing, um, but I'm so thankful that we have had an opportunity to go through uh, this impactful book of the Bible, one that I have uh, not dove deeply into before. And so it's been a blessing for me uh, to go through this book as well. And I pray this series has encouraged you. Um, I pray that it's been a blessing to you. Next week, uh, we're starting a brand new series called World Game Changer. Um, <clears throat> many of you may be aware that next month, the World Games are coming to Birmingham. And so uh, I want to talk about uh, something that is, is even, I believe, more important than the World Games. And that's the World Game Changer. His name is Jesus. And so I want to talk about why he came. I want to talk about uh, the, the kingdom that he ushered in and what that means and the implications that has on our life. And so for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to be in this series, World Game Changer. Hope you'll be back next week. Be sure to bring somebody with you. Um, but as we launch back into this final sermon on Hebrews, if you've been in a season of drift or maybe you're coming out of a bit of a, a, a rut or fog these past few years like many of us, uh, I pray that you have been convicted to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, that you've been convicted to run the race with perseverance, uh, to not grow weary, to not lose heart. That's what the preacher in Hebrews said last week in Hebrews chapter 12. And so now we, we turn the page to Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in Hebrews 13. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you right out of the gate. Uh, this, is, this is one of those chapters where it's kind of like uh, the, the preacher or the, or the writer just kind of throws everything else in there. Like we've talked about these, these things, Jesus is greater than this, Jesus is, is better than, don't drift. We've talked about these things and now it's like here's everything else that I want to know. It's kind of like uh, your mom when she's walking out the door or maybe your spouse when she's walking out the door. Have you ever experienced this? They're walking out the door and they're just like, okay. Don't forget to make your bed and brush your teeth and feed the dog and take out the trash and start the laundry and don't get COVID. See you, love you, bye. You know, it's like everything just right in one little swoop as they're leaving. And you're like, okay, I, I, can't, I can't take all those things in. Uh, this is, this is kind of like the Hebrews writer in chapter 13. There's like 10 mini sermons right here in this one chapter. And uh, we're just gonna highlight a few of them. Some refer to it as the announcements. Um, we had a good bit of announcements this morning, so many good things going on. So grateful for that. Hebrews 13, one, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. I want us to pause and I want us to remember the verse that came right before this, the one that we closed with last week. You remember at the end of chapter 12, when we look back there, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. Let us worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So we said that when this was originally spoken or when this was originally written that there wasn't these chapters and these verses. So there wasn't a break between chapter 12 and then chapter 13. These went together. And what we see at the close of, of chapter 12 is, is this idea of, hey, love God. Love God. Worship him in reverence and awe. And then we, we get right to the next verse. And, and what's, what's the call? Love others. Did you catch that in those two verses? Love God, love others. Who does that sound like? Jesus. The greatest command. Love God, love others. 
Verse 2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Now, admittedly, this is one of those verses that just stops you in your tracks. I've had conversations with some of you about this verse before. Uh, what, what is happening in this verse? You mean that you could encounter angel, angels unaware? Is, is that what this verse is saying? And honestly, um, I've gone through four years of, of seminary. I've gone through five years of a doctorate, and I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know the, the answer to this verse right here. Um, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law came in town this weekend. Uh, we, we let them stay at our house just in case they were angels because we, we, did, we did not want to, you know, break, <laughs> break stride with this verse. Um, but I, honestly, I, I don't know exactly what's going on. I, I've, I can tell you I've had a couple encounters in my life that I can't explain. I've had a couple encounters in my life. One of them was in Atlanta, Georgia. One of them was right down here on Lakeshore Parkway. And I cannot explain those encounters. Now, am I saying that with beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that I entertained angels unaware? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I think the point of what the Hebrews preacher, the Hebrews author is trying to say here goes deeper than our squabbling about what this verse means. Because he uses two impactful words the first word he uses is a word that you're familiar with, Philadelphia. Look it up in your Greek New Testament for those of you who brought your Greek today. Look that up. It's Philadelphia. It means what? Brotherly love. This is the first word that he uses, brotherly love. And then in verse 2, he uses this other word, philozenia, which just means showing love to strangers. Here's what I love about these two words on the screen is that today you have an opportunity to do both. You have an opportunity today to show love to one another. Somebody who needs a word of encouragement in this room, somebody who needs a word of encouragement or a hug or a pat on the back, you have an opportunity to display Philadelphia in this room today or in this foyer or in this, on this campus. We also have an opportunity to show Philozenia. We have an opportunity to show love to strangers. You see all these buckets? See all these buckets that Brother Presley talked about just a moment ago? We have an opportunity to show love to people we've never met and may never meet this side of heaven. We have an opportunity to show philo xenia. And I promise you, I do not have an endorsement from Lowe's. You know, they are not paying me anything to put all their buckets on this stage. But I'm grateful for a church who's willing to step up and help the strangers that we do not know. I appreciate Lisa Caulfield and our global missions team for spearheading this effort. This week, four of our members who I brought up on stage uh, just uh, last week are in Honduras showing love to strangers by building houses. You'll see a few pictures rolling on the screen. A house was built in honor of Charlie Grantham, our building supervisor who passed away at the end of 2020. If you'll keep scrolling through those pictures, you'll see some of these houses that have been built this week. Another house was built in honor of Mike Ermert who passed away in January. This is philozenia, showing hospitality to the stranger, building a house for someone that you've never met up until this point is one of the ways that I, I, I can think of to show hospitality. 
I mean, if somebody built me a house, I think, hey, that's, that's pretty hospitable, you know. And you can see that these houses are a little smaller than, than some of us may be accustomed to. But having been there, having stood in these spaces before, I can tell you that it means the world to these families. Showing hospitality is demonstrating our belief in the gospel. Our belief that we were shown mercy and love even when we did not deserve it. So this is showing hospitality is not just trying to be do-gooders. It's not just trying to be these humanitarians. Showing hospitality is, is displaying our belief that's rooted in, that's grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of him. And so when we show hospitality, how big or how small that is or what that looks like, we are living out our confession, which is what the Hebrews writer has been talking about all along. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 9, you'll remember that David sent for Mephibosheth. If you're looking for a name for your kid, Mephibosheth is on the, is on the table. It's one, of those ta- it's one of those names that you just... You, you can barely pronounce, but you don't forget. But if you remember, David sent for Mephibosheth. Who was Mephibosheth? He was the son of Jonathan. And you know what the word says? The word says that, that he blessed him. He showed him. David showed him the kindness of God. Why? On behalf of Jonathan. On behalf of his dad. He showed his son kindness. This is what we have the opportunity to participate in. That we show others the kindness that we have been shown through Christ. Showing hospitality is becoming like Jesus. Jesus ate with sinners throughout his ministry. He received children gladly. He taught us to invite people to parties that most people wouldn't invite to parties. His first miracle was at a wedding party. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper that Brother Larry just walked us through a few moments ago. The table of love, the table of forgiveness. He prepared breakfast for his wayward disciples. Jesus ate with the Emmaus disciples after his resurrection. And before his departure, as we sang just a moment ago in the song, that's why we praise him, Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for his People, Jesus radically shows hospitality. When we show hospitality to others, we're becoming more like him. Uh, when we first came to this church back in 2005, uh, Laney and I were invited to what was known at that time as a welcome home group. And we were invited to the home of Russ and Martha Brown. And Russ and Martha showed us hospitality. Not to mention they showed us a pretty awesome chocolate cake, but they showed us hospitality. And so, uh, Laney and I, as we began leading small groups in this church, we made an attempt to, to show the hospitality that we had been shown to others. So in 2006, we started a small group with five couples. By 2010, those five couples had grown to 40 couples. Why? I believe because there is power in Philadelphia. There is power in Philozenia. 
And when we display these things in the name of Jesus, people respond. Don't underestimate the profound impact that Philadelphia and Philoxenia can have. Verse 3, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. So as we said a moment ago, we don't, we don't do these things because we're naturally compassionate people. More than likely, it's because we are seeking to be faithful imitators of Jesus who enters so fully into the human situation that he's able to sympathize with our weakness. He talked about that back in chapter 4. And therefore, to supply the grace that we need in our time of need. So how do you remember those who are suffering? We can't always understand, we can't always identify with other people's suffering. Every situation is different. Every situation uh, that we encounter is, is not exactly the same. Even though we, we can have some empathy toward other people, we don't always understand what someone else is going through, but we can offer the gift of presence. We can offer the gift of kindness. We can remember them in prayer. Uh, one of our family's recent practices is a practice that we borrowed from uh, the Miller family in, in Rwanda, Africa, our missionaries that serve in the Rwanda area. And they, they do this on Tuesday nights, and we were able to be there last fall and just observe this. And so the, as a family, the Millers gather on Tuesday night in their living room, and they pray as a family. They just have a prayer journal, and they write down you know, things that they're thankful for. They write down things that they're praying for. And then the next week, they come back and see how is God moving and working. So we've started this. Uh, we're not uh, able to do it every single week, but we have tried to be uh, faithful to it. On Tuesday nights, we gather in our living room, and we pull out the journal, and, and we, we pray. And, and you know, when you have a, a 5-year-old and an 8-year-old and an 11-year-old, you, you don't always know what you're going to get you know, in terms of you know, what we're going to pray for. But it's a sweet time. It's a, it's, a, it's a meaningful time for our family. How are you practicing hospitality, and how are you remembering those who are suffering among you? Verse 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This is the word uh, pornonia that we, we find in the Greek here. That's where we get the word pornography. Verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you love because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's from Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. So we say confidence, with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? This is the psalm that Lily Beth read just a few moments ago. And this is why I wanted her to read Psalm 118 because as we've seen over 30 times in this this sermon in this letter, we've seen the Hebrews preacher writer uh, refer back to these Old Testament texts. He's telling us this story through the old text. It's, it's been said that the thing that sets the church apart is how the church relates to sex and money. And so this, this world is stingy with its money and promiscuous with their beds. Followers of Christ are stingy with their beds and promiscuous with their money. I don't know where I, I heard that quote before, but it stuck with me uh, because it, it's this reminder that, that the, the church 
is, is the, the guardian of these, these scriptures, that we, we lift these up, that we, we, we lift these words up in ways that, that convict and, and challenge. We're the, we're the conscience of the community. We, we allow these words to convict us, and then we, we share those with others. Author Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, it's a book that I now use for our premarital couples uh, that I get to meet with. So the Bible does not counsel abstinence before marriage because it has such a low view of physical intimacy, but because it has such a lofty one. The biblical view implies that physical intimacy outside of marriage is not just morally wrong, but also personally harmful. And then here's the quote on the screen from the book, The Meaning of the Marriage. If physical intimacy outside of marriage, is, if physical intimacy is designed to be part of making a covenant and experiencing that covenant's renewal, then we should think of physical intimacy as an emotional commitment apparatus. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17, refers to your spouse as your covenant partner. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to build a fire in the backyard during the fall or winter months. And so I know we haven't even got to summer yet. It's not even June 21st, but I'm already thinking about the fall. I'm already thinking about you know, being able to, to, to just build a little fire in the back, backyard. And what we know about, about fire is that fire can be a, a helpful resource. It can warm us when we're cold. A fire can also uh, be extremely helpful in the ways that it purifies. We can use it to, to cook food. We can use it to burn away things. But a fire can also be very harmful and destructive. Uh, you don't believe me? I mean, just, just Google what's happening right now in Athens, Greece, and the wildfire that's taking place and, and running rampant. Uh, a few years ago, there was a wildfire in Colorado that, that burned through 193,000 acres of land. Uh, some of you have, have worked in these, these fields, and you know just how dangerous and harmful fire can be. In the Old Testament book, The Song of Songs, we see pictures of different forms of love. Uh, and these could be referred to as different flames. I've shared this before because I think it's a, an impactful uh, illustration of just how this works. When we think about these different flames that can, can be helpful to us and, and warm us and, and be uh, something that's a gift to us, but on the flip side can also be something very harmful. We only have one word for love in, in our English language. You know? So uh, I love my wife and, and I love Garth Brooks, right? You know, we just put it all together. You know, I wasn't at the concert last night, by the way. Um, but we, we, we put these things together. But in, in, the, in the Hebrew language, there was different words for, for love. So there was a word for physical intimacy, and it was called the word dode, and that was like the physical flame. So when you think about a flame, you know, this was a flame that, that was exercised in the book of the Song of Songs. But there's another word for love, and that's the word raya. This is in chapter 2 of Song of Songs. And that word raya just means the friendship flame. So as a lily among thorns, so is my love, so is my raya among the daughters. And then the third type of love that we see in the book is the word ahaba. It's this word that means forever, this commitment type of flame. And so what, what we see just by, by reading this, this text is we see the, the different natures of the flames and how they, they work together. And why am I telling you this? Because I want you to listen to me, church, young, old, or in between. If you're involved in a sexual relationship outside the flame of Ahava, outside of the marriage covenant, then you're playing with fire. And Paul says 
In 1 Corinthians 6, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two became one. So C.S. Lewis would liken sex without marriage to tasting food without swallowing and digesting. Marriage should be honored by all. It should be lifted up by all and the church should be the front runner of the ones who are lifting it up. Right now as a church, we're planning a marriage seminar in September. I wanna plant that seed uh, for you. It is a opportunity for us to come together and to strengthen one another in marriage, but it's also an opportunity for us as a faith family to say, you know what, we, we celebrate marriage. We celebrate the single life. We celebrate a life in Christ. Our identity is in Him. And there are, are times that we set aside to, to focus in on these particular relationships. And I would just say that if sexual sin is an area that you struggle, I want you to know that you're not alone. I've had multiple conversations over the years with students, married people, single people, men, women who have struggled in this area. And my word of encouragement to you today is that it's not too late. And if you need help in this area, I would encourage you to seek out one of our shepherds, seek out myself or Rick Caulfield on staff. And let us be a resource for you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. This is what the Hebrews preacher says after admonishing the church to keep their lives free from the love of money. We live in a culture where contentment and happiness is six months away. When I, when I get this, or when I finally have this, or, or, or when this happens, then I'll be content, then I'll be happy. And if you're not content right now at 10.23 on Sunday morning, there's something about the good news of Jesus that is not embedded into your soul yet. And I say this to myself and I say this to us as a church lovingly, that we love people and we use money, not the other way around. We love people, not money. And I believe this is the second area that we have to constantly guard our heart on. It's like the preacher who uh, was preaching on the forgiveness of one's enemies. So he's, he's talking about just the forgiving enemies and he, he asks, you know, hey, does anybody, does anybody have any struggle with forgiving your enemies? And everybody in the congregation raised their hand, except one of the senior saints. And so he looks at this, this senior saint and he says, you know, sister, you, you, you don't struggle with, with, with forgiving your enemies? And she responds and she says, I, I have no enemies. And so the preacher thinks, well, this is a great opportunity for us as a, as a congregation just to hear, you know, a testimony from, from this senior saint. And so he, he just hands her the microphone and he says, well, well, well tell me, you know, how, how, how is it that you don't have any enemies? And she takes the microphone and she says, I'm 93. I outlived all those hacks. (laughs) 
Y'all can cut that out of the live stream, by the way. I, that's, I apologize. The truth is that we have to check our hearts when it comes to these two areas. The Hebrews preacher concludes by encouraging us to honor the church. Remember your leaders, imitate their faith as they imitate Christ. Submit to their authority so their work will be a joy and not a burden. Pray for them. Don't mess with strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. We are looking for that city to come. Verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Do not forget to do good and share with others. So in a moment, uh, we're going to sing a song. You're going to have an opportunity. Uh, if you'd like to go and meet with a, a shepherd for, for prayer or any other needs that you have, I'd encourage you to do that. There'll be one down front and one back here in this room to my right, the chapel. Uh, but we're also going to invite you, and, and it's not a pressure thing. It's an invitation for you to come and, and to take one of these buckets. We'll have shepherds down here and, and shepherds over here kind of helping pass these out. If you'd like to take a bucket, the, the list of items is inside these buckets. So you'll get a bucket, a lid, and a list. I would encourage you if you feel called to, to do that, if you'd come uh, during our song of invitation here in a moment. I want to ask us to stand for the author's benediction. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever, the church said. Amen. That concludes our studies of Hebrews. It's been about learning to believe in hard times. And I hope that Hebrews launches us into a deeper pursuit of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the gift of your word. And we thank you that we have the the privilege of gathering in this space, opening up your word and, and being challenged and convicted and encouraged by it. Right, there's been a lot that the, the author has given to us today to consider. And I just pray, God, that you'll water what's been sown. God, that you'll take these very words and that you'll make them your very own. God, anything that I have said that has been distracting or not of you, I pray that that will just fall away. God, as we have an opportunity now to, to respond, I pray that we will respond in faith. For some of us, that may just be doing some business with you right where we're at while we sing the song. For, for others, it may be going to see a shepherd. For others, it may be coming to get a, a bucket to serve in that capacity. But wherever we find ourselves today, may we continue to fix our focus and our thoughts and our eyes on you. We thank you for all this in Jesus' good name. Amen.